to read. Uh, we're going to read from First uh, Corinthians, and we we actually are going to read all of First Corinthians. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to go down to uh, the second chapter because. In all actuality, in the original Koine Greek, there are no chapters and verses. But chapter 1 flows so beautifully, of course, and finishes right in chapter chapter 2. So here is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, a called apostle of Jesus Christ. That's why we stress that word of. Those words in and of are very, very important. So Paul, a called apostle of Jesus Christ by God's will, and Sothenes, the brother, to the assembly of God that is in Corinth, persons sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints, with all that call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in every place, theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him and in all discourse and all knowledge, according to the testimony of Christ, was confirmed in you, so that you come not short in any gifts, awaiting the revelation in many different uh, translations it'll say appearing really the original is awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ who will also confirm you until the end impeachable nothing to judge impeachable completely free in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ our Lord now I beseech you brethren by the name and nature of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all, you all say the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made perfect and complete in that same mind and in that same judgment and discernment. For it has been shown to me concerning you, my brethren, that by those of the house that assembly that was meeting in the house of Chloe, that there, were, that there were strifes among you, but I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul. Notice that, of. I am of Paul. In other words, everything about who I am is constituted of Paul, or could it have been who he preached. I am of Paul. Some say I am of Apollos. Some say I am of Cephas, Peter, And some say, I am of Christ. We don't need any man. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized unto the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, that none should say that you were baptized unto my name. I baptize also the household of Stephanus. Further, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me. This, this is beautiful. But Christ sent me not to baptize. Hmm. Not to baptize. No, not to baptize, but to preach the good news, the gospel, to spell out God the Father through Jesus Christ. Not 
in wisdom of word, lest the cross of Christ should be made vain, empty, useless. For the word of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us that are to be saved, it is God's power. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and put away the understanding of the understanding ones in their own minds. This is this Paul is quoting in Isaiah 29, 14 to 16. Where is the wise? Where the scribe? Where dis, is the disputer of this particular age? For since in the wisdom of God, that world, the world under the power of Satan, through its wisdom, knew not God. God was pleased through the foolishness of the preaching to save and to continue to deliver them that believe. Since both Jews ask for signs, they're still waiting for the sign of Christ to come back. And, the, and who? And Greeks. And Greeks, what? Seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. Something that's a scandal. Something to them that, that wasn't for them that caused shame. And to Gentiles, those all others, people groups. So God is telling us there's two people groups. Not right now. We're all one in Christ, but there's Jews. And then there's all other people groups. Foolishness. But to those that are the call, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, God's power and God's wisdom. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. See, Christ was crucified in weakness, we know, in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 4. And so we see this, that for look at your calling, brethren, all of you that are in Christ, that not many are wise according to the flesh, the old nature, that that functions under the, the uh, satanic atmosphere. Not many powerful, not many high-born classes, different classes. But the foolish things of the world God chose that he might put to shame those that think they're wise, and the weak things of the world God chose that he might put to shame the strong things. And who are the weak things? That's who you and I are in Christ. Now, when it says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 4, that he was crucified in weakness, that simply means he put on humanity. Remember, he put on and tabernacled himself in a human nature. He never had a sin nature. We know that in John 1, and verse 14. So when it says that, again, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It's very, very wonderful. Now, when we look at that, when we look at this particular verse, the weakness of God is stronger than men. I'll read this, and we can see in, these, in the beautiful types and all through the Scripture, but we can, we can read here in Song of Solomon, and remember, Song of Solomon is, is literally showing out Christ. That's who it's showing out all through those scriptures. But in Song of Solomon 8, verse 6, it says, Set me as a seal upon your mind and your emotions, your very heart, 
And the heart there, our mind and, and emotions, is what the mind is occupied with most that it considers it to be its treasure. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so, set me as a seal upon your heart, your mind and your emotions, as a seal upon your arm. Everything you do will come from me on your arm. For love is as strong as death. Love is as strong as death. What does that mean? That Christ, when he died, his death, for us to give us his life, his death separated everything. All distance between God and the individual. Love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as cruel as the grave. In other words, here, cruel here is hard. It's as hard as the grave. Then in verse 7 says this, Many waters cannot quench love. Many of those trials, tribulations, and every single thing that we went through, what could quench Jesus? Everything he went through in his perfect humanity, but yet humanity, could anything quench the love that he had for his Father and for us? Could anything put it out? And no, many waters cannot quench love. Neither can the floods drown it. Neither can the floods. When the enemy in Isaiah 59, 19 comes in like a flood, then the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, lifts up a standard. The standard is Christ against him. And no weapon in Isaiah 54 and verse 17, no weapon that is formed against us will prosper. And every tongue that rises against us, God contemns. He completely does away with it. So many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown. And if a man could give all the substance of his house for love, it would be utterly, utterly contemned. Utterly. And so when we look at these beautiful scriptures and we see these things in the whole preponderance of these scriptures, we can see how the weakness of God, Christ putting on humanity, is so much stronger than any man. And that's why it says in Psalm 102 and verse 23, he weakens my strength. He weakens my strength. And he shortens my day in the way, in the way that I function under the wisdom of the world. He shortens my days in that as I grow more and more in who Christ is in me and who I am in him. And that's why it says in Joel 3.10 and 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, let the weak, all in Christ, let the weak say, what? That I am strong in the strength that Christ is in me. And so we see our calling that not many wise, not many of those that are in the flesh that function under the the lying wisdom of the evil one, and not many powerful, and not many high-born, but the foolish things of the world. The world, did they think Christ was foolish? The foolish things of the world God chose that he might put to shame those that think they're wise. And the weak things of the world, notice of the world, Satan's satanic system, God chose that he might put to shame those that think they have strength outside of Christ. And the lowborn, the lowborn, isn't that interesting? 
Our precious Savior was born in Bethlehem, but in John 1 and verse 46, he grew up in Nazareth. And Nazareth was the slum area of his day. Our precious Savior, low-born, things of the world, and those despised, God chose. And the things that are not, the things that are not, that he might bring to naught the things that are, to nothing. He might bring to nothing. Notice this? That he might bring to nothing the things that say they are apart from Christ, apart from him. Because in 1 Corinthians 13, 2, 3, and 4, if I have not love, and every time we see love there in 1 Corinthians, you can put Jesus. Because he is the very love of God completely and forever manifested as that love. We're a very loved people. We're a very, very loved people. And that's why he takes the time with us in his love to separate us from functioning in the flesh and soul self-consciousness. And he separates it, see? So that we can know and experience that we're loved. And in that love, we love each other with that love and no flesh enters into it. Not even the fool, not even foolish things. Uh, Proverbs 24 and verse 9 says, even the thought of foolishness, and foolishness honestly, is coming up with something that doesn't have a thing to do with Christ, and we attach humor to it. <laughs> the thought of foolishness, it says, is sin, or in other words, that thing that separates me from experiencing him. So that's why we need to be so careful that we're to let no corrupt communication. And what is corrupt communication? Proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good, God's good, Agathos. That, that which is good. So again, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. And then it says in 4.30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit by which you and I were sealed. And that means simply that when we think in the thoughts of the foolishness, foolishness, we add something. We think we need to add something to Christ. When we do that, when we do that, what is that? It's corrupt, and the Holy Spirit has to stop from revealing to us in our experience who Christ is positioned in us as our very treasure in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. That's what he's saying here in all these beautiful words here. And so that's why he says again, and the things that are not, see? The things that are not, that he, he might bring to naught the things that are. And he's doing that in us through the preaching of the word. That's why it's, listen, it's so necessary when, when things about the flesh, and remember in Romans 8, 9, and this is how it's preached. In Romans 8, 9, the flesh is still in us, ready to be active at any second. But we are not of it. The flesh is in us, but we are of Christ. And when the flesh is preached, it's preached upon the basis that we are loved by God. And that even that preaching in, in, in relationships with discernment, God is separating those so that we function in the purity of who Christ is in each vessel. And the purity is what we give out. 
That's why, again, honestly, this is what it says for us. Serious, okay? And, and, you know, God the Holy Spirit, he knows what he's doing. He can convict. He can convict. He can go into a believer's mind and emotions like no one else can. Like no one else can. And he does so by the word. He does so by the very piercing of the word. The word of the Lord is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even. Notice what it says? It pierces even to the divining asunder of soul, self-consciousness, where we get all that sometimes we think things are funny and foolish, which don't have a thing to do with Christ. Not one single thing, honestly. So this is what it's saying. And, and, and it's interesting where it goes in Ephesians chapter 4, Again, when it says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. So if there was a communication, a word that proceeded out of my mouth, it was a thought first. And in Proverbs 24, verse 9, the thought of foolishness of sin. And when we do that, and when that becomes part of what we think our call or our place is, it just reveals in 24.10 that we have a very small soul. It means it hasn't been separated. So we function in the smallness of the soul and add that to who we are in Christ. And the whole time he's separating those things. We need to understand that. We need to. We need to understand it. And so let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that God may use it to edify, that it may minister what? To the hearers. What are they hearing? Grace. And who is grace and truth? It's Christ. Grace. And otherwise, grieve not. Stop grieving the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, what would cause that corruptness, even in thought? Watch what it would cause it. All bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away with from you with all malice. And in place of that, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as for Christ's sake, God has forgiven, and for God, as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Now look what it says when we get into Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Here's what it says. Be you, and that's very personal, be you followers of who? God. As what kind of children? Dearly beloved children. And what? And walk where? Walk in love. As Christ also has what? Loved us. And given himself. What does love do? It gives. Well, well then what does love give? If God is love in 1 John 4, 8 and 16, and God gives, did he give us his son? And isn't that honestly constantly what he's giving us through the power of the Holy Spirit? so that nothing else comes in between, no other thought enters our mind, but we cast down these, these reasonings in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5. And if my reasoning or my thought content is not Christ, then where does it come from? It comes from Hupsima, those high fallen angels that are demons in the heavenlies. And it enters in, but it can only enter in through the flesh. And that's why our fellowship is around Christ and him alone. Never any, not even a particle of the flesh. Not that even God needs it. 
Do, do we think that he needs something of our flesh to help clarify or quantify Christ? No. No, not at all. Be you therefore followers of God as dearly beloved children and walk in Christ. Walk under the walk under the power of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5 and verse 16 so that you experience the old life in Galatians 5 and verse 24 as that that has been has been past tense crucified and now present tense and forever you live in the power of Christ in you as your very treasure in the earthen vessel in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. Yeah, and, and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given us himself. He gives himself constantly. He gives himself constantly. His constant desire is the, is the continuing of him giving himself to each of us constantly. So that's all that we have to give out. So whatever we take in, we give out. And so... For what? He's given himself for us. He's for us, folks. When God deals with the flesh that they're a believer that they're not of, it's, the, it's, the, it's his love that's for us. Do we see that? Do we see it? That's for us. An offering. Who do I have to offer to you? For, for an offering and a sacrifice to God of a sweet-smelling Savior, two believers getting together and all they do is exchange Christ that goes up into God causes such joy. You, you, and we will experience that in Romans 5, verse 11. We will joy in Him. That means we will be able to participate in the joy of the Father himself. I mean, is there anything that can replace that? Well, but separated, to be separated from that, but fornication, is that just physical fornication or could it be spiritual? It is. Fornication and all uncleanness. Sometimes we don't understand what uncleanness is. Well, we saw in Ephesians 4 and verse 29, whatsoever is not of grace or Christ is what? Corrupt. And what is it? It's unclean. It's unclean. These things may have operated in us, but does God see us that way? Does it have anything to do with his love? No, as a matter of fact, it's his love that does the separating. No one can counsel us like he can. No one. No one can counsel us like he can. And that's why we have the privilege, by his grace, to be able to come and hear the word like this. Because it's his word, isn't it? That he's made each of ours when we submit to it. And also when we submit to one another. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become saints, those that have been separated from all of that in Christ positionally, and now it's being worked in progressively in our growth in 2 Peter 3, verse 18, in our experience. And so this is what it says, neither filthiness, 
Oh, what do we consider to be filthy? I don't know. Is corruption filthy? Is death decaying things filthy? Is there any life? No. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking. Nor foolish talking. Nor jesting. You want to see what these words mean in the original. Yeah, just really it's mimicking, it's mimicking the lower life animals, by the way. As those that are created in his image. Oh God. Neither jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Notice that? By rather giving of thanks. And do you know why? Because by the time we get, by the time we get, because that's what it was with the with the church of Corinth. It got so bad that Paul couldn't even go there. They were so they they were so in themselves. Listen, they were so they they became so in themselves. Listen, he taught them. Of course, we know it's Christ, right? The Holy Spirit taking the things of Christ through a vessel that submitted to the head in Ephesians 4 8. And he taught them, but they weren't separated. They were not separated. And he taught them. And then through that teaching and all that investment, they began to counsel him. And their counsel was, you're not an apostle. You're not a messenger. And that's why he even brought it out. Like some so falsely taught, examine yourselves. Are you in the faith? And some would teach that to say, you know, you need to examine yourself in the flesh. We should ever do that. Is that who we are? No. Examine yourself. See why the separating process is so necessary. So when God is dealing in him only, in the place of those that he's chosen to deal with that, to deal with the flesh, in those that he loves. That's why it's being done. That's why, it be, that's why it's being done. And the only reason is it's because God's for us. And that flesh would keep out the God for us, wouldn't it? And so he says here again, here again, that he couldn't even go, but he said, examine yourselves in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, and see whether you're in the faith. You're born again, you're in the faith. Even in Ephesians 1, verse 1, it says, to those, to the faithful in Christ. That's not even talking about your, your conduct. That's talking about the character of who, who you truly are positioned in. Just make sure in your growth, and we, we should know. Okay, and we don't examine ourselves in the flesh to see whether we're in Christ. We examine about who we are in Christ to see who, what the flesh is. And that's all that it was teaching. And Paul was just very simply saying there in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, look, you, you, don't, you, you want to reject me who God sent to you? Well, are you in the faith? Yep, okay, where did it come from? And now... You've become my counselor. You have to add something to the preaching that God gave in a particular place. Now you have to add something and almost qualify it. I don't know, does God the Holy Spirit need any qualifications? Doesn't. Boy, he doesn't. And that's what makes it necessary for us to be a joint that supplies and to be that joint that supplies in Ephesians 4 and verse 16. We don't leave our place. We don't speak out of place. None of us do. 
And that's part of submitting to one another in the place that we occupy in the body of Christ as those stones in 1 Peter 2, 5, and 6 that build up a lively, a life, a lively house filled with each joint that is filled with Christ in their capacity and in their place. And so this is why it says here that no flesh, the things that are not, now we're back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28, the things that are not, that he might bring to naught, to nothing, right? And what is what are we outside of experiencing his love for us? What do we experience? It's, it's nothing, because he only sees us in Christ. So when he shows us, without condemnation, that we're functioning in the flesh, isn't that the point that he's for us and the proof that he's for us? Boy, it sure is. It sure is. And so again here, it says that this, that no flesh should boast before God. That's Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and verse 24 that Paul has in mind here. And, and because it says this, but of him, notice that, see that word of? But of him are you in, see, of and in? Of him are you in Christ Jesus, who God made to be wisdom to us from God. And righteousness, you know, Psalm 11, verse 7, the righteous Lord loves what? Righteousness, who we are in Christ. That's why, again, in Job 36 and verse 7, he never removes his eye from righteousness. So when he deals with us in the flesh, is he, has he removed his eye of loving the righteousness and loving us in Christ and Christ in us while he's dealing with that? No. No. No, no. Not at all. And sanctification. Positionally true, but now it has to be experiential. And redemption constantly buying us back. That according as it is written, he that boasts, let him boast in the Lord. Again, this is Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. And how does God get separate us experientially from boasting in the flesh? And boasting in the flesh just simply means I might need to qualify something. I might think I might have to kid or joke to add something. I mean, what builds us up and edifies us? Isn't it Christ in the Word? Do we need anything else for any of us? This is very convicting to me personally. Do we need anything else? Is anything else needed? Does God need that? He doesn't. Not even a little bit. Because if it's outside of Christ, for any of us, it's corrupt. But does God see me as corrupt in the flesh? No, His love separating me from it. Because He desires this intense intimacy with us. And so as we close this this morning, we see this very clearly, that it's the cross, experientially, the, the working in of the cross that separated the flesh. Remember? He crucified the old, Romans 6, 1 through 6. Old things are passed away. They're not in the process of passing away, like some think. <laughs> no, we don't know anyone after the flesh. I don't know anyone after the flesh. I don't know them after the flesh at any time. It's never my place to do that. Never. Because old things have passed away. 
In 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17, all things are what? New where? In him. In him. And so, again, Paul said in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, more than two, and by the way, it's a beautiful flow. If you take out the true and the one from the rest of this, it's a beautiful flow. And I, when I came unto you, brethren, came not in, ec- in excellency of word or wisdom, announcing to you the testimony of God. And who is the testimony of God? Isn't that Christ? I came and I preached Christ. For I determined, I made a determination because that was made in me experientially based upon my position. I determined not to know, listen to this one now, not anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Right? There are no Dick Tracys in God's kingdom, in God's local assembly, searching out, preaching of the word in its proper place, yes. Yes. Very necessary. Very, very necessary. There are no little Dick Tracy's, though. Right? Searching out. (laughs) Thank God for that, right? There's no suspicion. There's no suspicion in God's love for us. None whatsoever. None. Okay? So again... Announcing to you the testimony of God, which is Christ, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, the cross constantly keeps that out. Because out of that, out of death came what? Life, new life. I determined not to know anything among you except Christ and him crucified. And this is what Paul's saying, and I in weakness. I don't know, is Paul just as weak to those that God was sharing the word through him to? Oh, Lord. I don't know. And your love to someone else, do you need me to qualify that? Have you ever heard me do that? Have you ever heard me qualify you when you said something to someone? Or vice versa, do we need to do that? We don't need to do that. There's no need of that. None whatsoever. And because if we think there's a need that we don't have to do, it's a false need, it's a false burden, and it's just a matter of not trusting God. And when I don't trust God, it just simply means I left my proper place. And then I function in a false image, and that image tells me I need to do something. (laughs) Don't need to do. We need to trust. So as we close, I was in weakness and in reverence, fear, and godly reverence, and in much trembling with you, and the word would come. Much trembling. And my word, and why does he say my word? Because it became an experiential reality in him through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't anything he ever did himself. None of us. And my word, and my word became my preaching. And God and the Holy Spirit through Christ through the power of Christ, was teaching me as it's coming out. He's teaching me. No one can correct like him. That's why we need to trust him the most, huh? Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. And my word and my preaching, very experiential, very intimate and real, was not in persuasive words of wisdom, trying to win those to myself. Not trying to win, win anyone he says to myself, persuasive words of women's 
of wisdom, but in demonstration and manifestation of the spirit and power. Do you know what that means? Do you remember what Jesus said in John 6, 63? It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits what? Nothing. But the words that I speak unto you, what are they? They are spirit, Holy Spirit, and they are life. We have those two comforters that the Father sent. You see that in John the 14th chapter. 14.25, 15.25, and 16 verse 7 of John, the beautiful gospel. Was not a persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith dependence, that your dependence, your dependence might not be in man's wisdom, but separated from that in God's power. See, in God's power. Verse 6, but we speak wisdom among who? The full grown. Can it be spoken of those? Can it be received of those that haven't been yet? No, but should it be any less preached? Full grown. But wisdom, not of this particular age that we're in, nor of the rulers of this age. When it says that, read Ephesians 6, verse 12. Do we wrestle against, and this is the proper way in the Greek, and sometimes you'll see it in certain margins that need to be corrected. We wrestle not against blood and flesh, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this particular age in Satan's kingdom, spiritual wickedness in the heights. (laughs) Spiritual wickedness. Every man, and we see men today in certain nations being, being led by the evil rulers of this age. We see it live and in color during, even in the past couple of months, we see it, but we see the source. Nor the rulers, and you see that again in Colossians 1 and verse 16, principalities, where it says dominions there, it's rulers, those who dominate us. God forbid we should be dominated by the flesh because that's, that's this, the atmosphere trying to replace Christ in our experience. God forbid we bring that into what we would call a fellowship and even call it that. Lord, help us. When I say us, I mean me. (laughs) The demonstration of the Spirit and power that your faith might not be there because we speak wisdom not of this age nor of the rulers of this particular age would that come to what? Where are they headed to? Nothing to not. This whole world system in 1 John 2.17 is going to come to an end. Oh boy. No more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. Because the former things are passed away and we just behold him for all eternity who makes everything new. We just function in the new. And that's why he indelibly wants to to write upon our minds and, and our emotions Write these words because they're true and faithful in Revelations 21, verse 4 with Revelations 7, 17 and Revelations 21 and verse 5 to this age. But separated from all of that, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. Not that it's mysterious, but the hidden wisdom which God, listen to what it says, predetermined all this. 
did you know that? That's why we can trust him. Yes, there's sorrow, and we can join and be one with those that sorrow. You see that in Revelations, in Romans, the 12th chapter, and 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. We, we can sorrow with them. But you know what? We know it's going to come to an end because God's predetermined it even before it happened. It predetermined it. You know why? Because he was the lamb slain. Listen to this one. Before anything was created, before an angel fell and became evil, and before men functioned under that evil and tried to work it out on this earth, before any of that, God predetermined his lamb. In Revelations 13, 8, he predetermined before in his eternal mind, in Hebrews 4 and verse 3, that the works were finished. They're just showing at the end. They're just working their way out to the end. Because it was, it was in the predeterminate counsel and foreknowledge that those wicked men, evil men, by their hands, crucified Jesus Christ. I don't know. Wasn't it God's plan? They thought evil, but did God think good in Genesis 50 and verse 20? Yes, sirree. That's why it says in Acts 15, 18, known unto God are all his works from the beginning. That's you and I. That's all prophecy, that's all type, that's all Christ, and that's all who you and I are in him. Known unto God are his works from the beginning, and that's why he declares the end, that everything that's coming to naught on this earth from the beginning in his predeterminate counsel and foreknowledge in his mind. Isn't that awesome? See, everything about us is based upon him foreknowing us. And his foreknowledge has to do with his thought. doesn't have a single thing to do with ours. That's why love, 1 Corinthians 13, 8, never fails. Never fails. And, and so that's why even Jesus said in John 13, 19 and, 4, and, and 14, 29, he said, I tell you these things, I'm telling you them now, before they come to pass, that when they come to pass, you might believe. And that means you may rest in me. <laughs> You may believe. That's why he said in Revelations 1, 8, 11, and 17, and Revelations 22 and verse 16, he said, I am, oh God, the Alpha, the beginning, and the Omega, the end. I am. And in Romans 8, verse 31, if God be for us, since he is for us, the I am for us, who's against us? The only thing in my experience that can come in the way of God being for me is the flesh. And thank God he separates it. He separates it in his pure love and this progressive uh, sanctification based upon positional sanctification about who we are in Christ. Because we speak wisdom in this mystery. That's what Paul said. In Ephesians 3, verses 4, 5, and 6, he spoke these mystery things in verse 8. He spoke them things that hadn't been yet revealed until Christ was crucified. He went down, was in the grave, never in hell. He went up and sent the Holy Spirit down to form the church, that mystery that was never revealed all through the Old Testament and all through the Psalms. Even though it was there, they didn't understand it like you and I do. Isn't, that, isn't it amazing? Well, not the wisdom of this age, no. No, we speak these things in the wi wisdom because it was predetermined by God. Before the ages, 
before all the time ages. <laughs> for, for, for what? For our glory in Christ in Colossians 1.27. Which none of the rulers of the age knew. Did you know that? All these men under the enemy doing all this evil because of their plans. Do they know anything about this reality that's coming to an end? No, they do not. The rulers, those that are functioning under those satanic rulers, do they know anything about it? No? No, because if they did, if they had known, would they have crucified the Lord of glory? No. But according as it is written, and this is what God has for us. I believe that as us little ones in this, in this little but big in Christ local assembly. This is what I believe. For I, I, things, things which I has not, which I which saw not and ear heard not. We're he- saying things and hearing things. I know in my life I've never heard before with the scriptures ever. Never. And, and nor has entered into man's mind, entered not all which God, past tense, has already prepared for them, what? That love him. Because in 1 John 4, 10, here in his love, we couldn't, because love is God. No, God is love. Here in his love, not that we loved him. We couldn't be, we weren't gone but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now we love through submission of our will and obedience because he first loved us. And boy, does he love to be loved by those that he loved with his love. And so this is what it says here. For those that love him, but God revealed to us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. How deep is his love? We'll never come to the end of it in Ephesians 3 and verse 19. We'll never come to the end of it. But for now, in our growth, he's continuing to separate the flesh from who we are in Christ to prepare us for the depths of eternity. And he's going to show us beautifully all those separating times in Revelation 2. In verse 17, so Father, we thank you for your precious truth, the beauty of it, the beauty of who you made Christ to be for you in propitiation and in doing so and providing for yourself. You have provided him as the one and only sacrifice whereby we're reconciled to God. And that's happened positionally. Now you've given us the word and the Holy Spirit takes the written word, makes it the living word. And when it's received that way, not the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, it does work effectually in that separating process. So effectually in us. To them, to, to you and I that receive it. So thank you for it this this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.